podcast where we cover everything investor related and health related. As always, I have with me my investment co-host, Dr. Oren Aloni Chavez, co-founder and CEO of the Global Health Impact Fund. Oren, it's a pleasure to have you back as always. Martin, thank you. It's such such a fun thing to do this podcast. I've I've really enjoyed it. I hope the audience is loving it, rating it, and sharing it with other people so we can we can get our voices out there. Um, so I'm the managing partner of the Global Health Impact Fund, which is a uh, healthcare early stage healthcare uh, venture fund. We are run by doctors. I'm an anesthesiologist by trade with about 25 years of practice and. We have just a really unique uh, approach to finding and investing in companies. So uh, in our travels, we've come across this terrific company named Plethi, and Global Health Impact Fund is an investor in Plethi, and we're big supporters of them. And I'm really pleased today to bring uh, to the audience Raja Sundaram, who is the CEO of Plethi. Raja and I have known each other for a while now. We've done podcasts together before, so this is a reunion special of sorts, and um, it's my pleasure to introduce Raja, and I think you will really enjoy this episode as we get to learn more about him and the work he's doing at Plethi. So, Oren, Welcome. thank you so much for having me again. It's always a thrill having these conversations with you. So, so Raja, thanks for joining us today. So, you know, what we're going to do is we're gonna, going to talk on the show today about Plethi in your journey. Um, and I think as part of that, we're going to apply some of the things that we've discussed on previous podcasts. And so I think that what we'll do is have you start with maybe giving us an overview of yourself, who you are, and you know what brought you into the entrepreneur's journey, and then followed by an introduction to what Plethi is and why it's an important business. And then we can get into some conversation after that. So I started uh, my journey um, in the United States as an engineer, or I, I got a master's in Dublin. Um, I decided chip design it is and showed up in the Bay Area. Uh, fortunately for me, I didn't want to be an engineer. So I ended up in, uh, in uh, internet working for a while. And then um, at Cisco Systems, grew up um, in uh, several roles, including running P&Ls to sales and marketing and so on. That's kind of where I cut my teeth in healthcare. It gave me an opportunity uh, to sell um, what is now the what is now telepresence, right? Cisco used to call it Cisco Health Presence, and uh, we partnered with GE Medical, Cerner, UCSF, and uh, sold into large hospital systems. It gave me good insights into uh, some of the challenges in health systems, some of the patient journeys that needs to be managed, and so on. As a as a high level view, I like to ask why this, why now, and why you. So so let's start with the why this. Tell me, you know, let's get in a little bit into the weeds of, of what Plethi is doing specifically, and and why is it important, and why is your approach specifically within the MSK, the musculoskeletal space, uh, important? So we looked at the the market. Look, uh, virtual care uh, in chronic conditions is not new. It's been there for a long time, blood sugar monitoring as an example. Mm -hmm. But the challenge when you look at acute care is a lot of moving parts, multiple care providers, transition of care, access to care, because it's a fixed duration of time. You really need to juggle and coordinate 
a whole boatload of things. We wanted to focus on musculoskeletal care because we felt it was a foundational capability. Because after all, without mobility, we're all impaired. So we said, if you focus on mobility, then that acts as a foundation for other use cases in medicine. When you look at it from a market standpoint, one out of two adults in the United States have some kind of an MSK problem. It can either be a knee pain or a lower back pain, not necessarily a replacement of a hip or a knee. So when we looked at the size of the market and the fact that mobility is foundational, we wanted to focus on it. Now, what's the challenge in the space? The challenge in the space is recovery outcomes and patient managing themselves. If it's a surgical case, the patient gets just most of the surgeries are same day discharge. The patient needs to manage themselves at home. If it's a non-surgical case, even if they go to PT, physical therapy twice a week, what happens to the remaining five days of the week? The other aspect that we thought about the space was, look, huge market, huge need, but not enough metrics. If you look at it from an insurance payer standpoint, they want to make sure that when the problem gets fixed, there are outcome scores and measurements that determine that this is not a rinse-repeat two years from now. That was also missing in the space. So when we started thinking about all of that, we felt this, place is, this space in musculoskeletal is conducive for having a digitized version of the clinical protocol with real-time insights, think recovery trajectory of how the patient is doing. That's really what we, why, we, why we focused on this place. So, so the problem, as I, as I hear you explain it, is that there's this high-low component to therapy. The high is you're with your doctor or your physical therapist or you know, somebody in that care continuum, and they're giving you really high-level insight and advice. And thank you, doctor. Thank you. Thank you, whomever you're talking to. And you go home, and you're not going to see your doctor for two weeks, three weeks. And say if you've had a total knee replacement, for example, uh, you need to do work. You need to be compliant with your exercises in order to recover well. And if you're not, you're actually going to have a bad outcome. So what you're saying is that historically, people aren't so good at that. And they get overwhelmed by that. And their compliance drops. And then their recoveries get impeded. And their outcomes get diminished. And it's that whole... You can go to your doctor and your doctor can talk to you about your weight uh, or stop smoking, but that's not the same thing as going home and stopping smoking, right? So this is the idea is that what we need to do is engage patients at home to take uh, agency over their care, give them the tools that they need and the, the information and insight to guide them along that journey to make them active participants in their healing. You actually said it better than I did. I, I want to copy you. <laughs> you got that's my that. new value. I don't know if that was better, but but that's what it is, right? It's bringing patients into it, making the patients it is. actively a part of their healing rather than recipients of information. And so, and we know that that's critical, right? It, that you can't, I can't make you do your knee bends, whatever you know, when you're healing as a doctor. It is. Yeah. See, look, what we uh, there are two points to um, just to add to what you said. The first is. By the time a patient um, goes to a doctor or goes through a procedure, 
they've already suffered in pain for a, for a long period of time. And, and what we do in the health system today is, at your point, we, we are seeing them once every month or once every two months, but we need to empower them to take control uh, of their own care and their recovery. But they all, all of us need support in doing it, right? Preaching to them ain't gonna work. How do you take them on a step-by-step -step care journey every day so that it becomes, think, short-term neuroplasty? You wake up, brush your teeth, do your care protocol. And that's the discipline we, we look to try. So, so tell me how Plethi does this and why Plethi is better at this than any of your competitors. Because it's not, I mean, the idea of, you know, basically, you know, transferring care to the home and, you know, actively engaging people with chronic care monitoring, that's not revolutionary. There are a lot of people doing that, but, but your approach is different. There are, a lot of, uh, there are quite a, a few folks doing it in musculoskeletal as well uh, in the space. The way we looked at it uh, was uh, in, in, in three dimensions. The first is it has to be a solution that is simple to use. The second, we'll, we'll dwell into that in a minute. The second is uh, it needs to provide uh, patient engagement. They would want to wake up and use it. And the third is it needs to provide meaningful recovery data to care professionals. What we ended up doing on the first one is we clearly for us, if it's all about metrics, it requires a sensor. Having the patient self-report themselves is just not going to work. So we spent quite a bit of time thinking human-centric design and how our app flows from a usage standpoint and how easy it is for, for them to wear a sensor. Uh, including not having to recharge and so on, apply and, and remove uh, for each episode of care. Along with that, we put a huge emphasis on driving patient engagement based on their persona and tendencies. We do behavioral interviews of patients as they get into our program. We check their mood and constantly relook really at their persona and the app engages them from a psycholinguistic standpoint. So it, it's more tailored to how people want to learn, how people want to be coached, how people want to be pushed, as opposed to a peanut butter approach. And that has given us tremendous success on patient engagement. And the third is just meaningful data for the use case. Whether it's a ankle, knee, hip, shoulder, lower back, um, elbow, or arms, or wrists, meaningful data to everyone in the care journey, whether it's a, a home health care provider, a physical therapist, uh, the, the surgeon, the primary care provider, the pain specialist, and so on. Meaningful data on the recovery of the patient in real time, along with the ability for them to do assessments of patients. That's really how we approach this. What also makes us unique in, in this entire program, recovery program, is our emphasis on reimbursements. We started the journey in fee-for-service because we wanted a frictionless way to enter the market. And we, uh, as an, as an FDA-registered device, all of this creates a new revenue channel for the physician and the clinic. How important is the revenue model in your experience when you're, I mean, you're, the idea is that this service will improve outcomes of patients, which is good for the surgeons, 
uh, and it will improve patient satisfaction, which is good for the surgeons. How important was it to add to that the idea that they can also drive revenue for their practices? So our our model, uh, our go-to-market model is we started the journey with clinics and we, we're kind of moving up into um, large corporations and payers, but the entry point was the clinics. And it is an uphill battle to go into a clinic and say, look, let me add another line item of cost structure to your business, right? Um, what we found was that it was one thing to have people try it out for a period of time, but when we are asking them now to prescribe it to the preponderance of their patients, then it's more of a difficult task. Because most of the ortho groups that we are going to are all LLCs, uh, if you will. And this frictionless entry point was very, very critical for us. What changed last year uh, was the availability of reimbursement codes for the right kind of data, for the right kind of device-based solution. And we took advantage of it. We, we could see that coming. We made the changes in our product uh, to be able to uh, take advantage of it. And that, Orin, is a frictionless way to enter the market. What you also find in value-based care uh, is uh, where you go in as a cost structure within a capitated model, a fixed fee model, that challenges attribution of what you did to the outcome. Look, we've all run, um, we've all been in uh, small, medium, or large corporations where we start thinking about productivity and, and reducing cost. The question is, how do you attribute that productivity grew because of that particular line item of cost or who made that difference, right? Which organization made that difference? That problem still exists. So you can drive cost down if you either reduce or eliminate services in a value-based care model. As we are entering into value-based care model, we already have had experience of using data to help the clinician make the determination on the right amount of services that is needed by patient. That's really where you start making a difference on the productivity and the cost side. So reimbursements were a very important part for us to kind of get into the game of having to have people look at data and for us to drive the change needed in the clinic. And, and you'd mentioned that there are other, there are other companies in the space doing at-home monitoring for musculoskeletal disease. What makes Plethy different? Metrics. Most Metrics. of the focus in musculoskeletal uh, today in the marketplace are all about physical therapy replacements. And what they focus in physical therapy replacement on is what I call symptom suppression. So you go into a large enterprise, either directly or through a healthcare plan, and you market to the employees directly, and you give them a six-week, 12-week program of exercises that is watched uh, through video by a physical therapist without a clinician oversight. The reason I call it symptom suppression is because there are no outcome scores. There is no way to know that the patient actually reached 
their objectives in the context of range of motion. Because most of the patient-reported outcomes are all about how they feel. They're not about, did you actually get your range of motion back? Did you get your flexion, your extension, your abduction, your abduction, your range of motion back? Because that's what constitutes outcome. And our focus from the beginning has always been, look, outcome for us is not just patient-reported outcome, but measurable device-based, sensor-based outcomes that know that the patient indeed has had the range of motion back. Remember our premise, our premise is, this is all, a, we focused on this space because we wanted to give people mobility and independence back. And in keeping with that, if you are to give mobility and independence back, it has to be measurable, not a symptom suppression. Have you had patient or physician feedback at this point? You've, you've been in market long enough? Yes, we actually do. We um, have a plethora of videos, uh, as you can see on our website. Um, our, what we are very surprised this year, Oren, uh, is two things. Number one, we've driven our patient engagement today uh, to above 80%. And in some very large clinics in the United States, we're running at 93% adherence. What, what would be normal adherence and engagement? Uh, what's normal adherence and engagement, uh, if it does not require physical therapy, uh, seems to be running somewhere between 20 to 60% or in. The most difficult part is to get people to wake up. It's one thing to get people to wake up and check their blood sugar, because clearly they understand the implication of not doing it. Right. It's very hard to get people to wake up and do their physical therapy at home. Right, right. Like you can put on the record player and it goes round and round. In every round it goes, it would count as a step. So how does your sensor actually confirm, you know, the person's actually doing the exercises needed? It's, a, it's actually a combination of um, uh, hardware and algorithms, uh, Martin. So the hardware portion of it is, is nine degree. It's a think axle or gyro magneto, a simple way to do it. Um, the algorithms fundamentally take the movement of the body. For example, uh, we can measure the most two difficult things. It's one thing to have measure a long arc knee extension that you lifted your knee up and down, right? It's just displacement. Uh, we can measure supine heel slides. When you're lying down, you're doing a heel slide with the tabulatus, or the ability to measure your shoulder rotations, right? And so those are fundamentally done taking the data from the sensor and just having algorithms, very complex algorithms. Best way to uh, draw an analogy is it's robotic move movements, right? We've mapped human movements, robotic movements, and, and the ability to track it. So we actually can do uh, range of motion measurements to go along. We have very uh, clear protocols with regards to how we do um, the ping back on the patient, for lack of a better mm -hmm. word, right? And so uh, if it's we do a minimum of two care sessions a day, once in the morning, once in the evening patient chooses the time. Uh, if they m miss the morning session, just to give you an example, there's a sequence of if thing, notifications that occur 
till the afternoon and then from the afternoon till the next morning and then there is a series of escalations we have patient support managers think digital healthcare managers who fundamentally call the patient or reach out to the patient through the app uh, all the way to an escalation model into the clinic uh, where the medical assistant in the clinic or the physician themselves uh, we facilitated the way for them to communicate with the patient easily and, and ping. So not everything rings a bell. There's a sequence of events that occur to get the patient back on the horse, if you will. Raja, you went through the FDA for clearance on your monitor and your sensor before before you went to market. Why why is that? One of the things that we found uh, in in, the, in our journey, uh, um, Oren, uh, we'll tell you what's coming next as well as part of this. As we started looking ahead uh, in terms of uh, what's needed, because this, this, the whole notion, there was a huge um, run towards uh, go create an app, put it in iTunes Store, get people to download it, use it, off you go. Mm -hmm. uh, when we started looking at uh, why um, CMS had indeed incented um, uh, virtual care, remote patient monitoring, it was fundamentally around delivering better outcomes and reducing costs. And if you take that um, uh, focus of theirs uh, to heart, then you start thinking about it in the context of, hey, this needs to be measurable. It just can't be someone reported an outcome, right? And so that was the starting point. The second one uh, for us was uh, at some point these products are going to be regulated just the way a traditional medical device is regulated, right? And so there's one thing to have software as a medical device or, or then to augment it with a sensor that gives you metrics. Um, if you saw the news, uh, I, I believe, earlier this week or late last week, uh, the, the director for uh, Center of Medicare Medicaid Innovations very clearly talked about how she sees the future uh, in 2022 to be more and more uh, value-driven, metrics-driven, outcome-driven, an emphasis on virtual care and an emphasis on uh, telehealth. Um, if, you, if you digest it for a, for a while, you, you look at two elements. One, uh, clearly the uh, public health emergency and the pandemic has clearly articulated the value of virtual care and telehealth, if you will, telehealth-based consultation. But more important, it has also articulated the need for patients to manage themselves with metrics to really achieve the outcomes you want from value-based care. And so you can very well imagine, like our, our journey was when we looked ahead, we knew we needed to get registered and, and, and get audited. We then knew, we now know that next year is going to be more and more uh, data and outcomes. So much of the work that we are doing today are uh, looking at uh, ML and AI in the context of how do you take patients through a recovery trajectory based on their height, weight, BMI, and ethnicity? What should their recovery trajectory be? Where are they against actual? Or do you increase their uh, what they need to do, or do you need to tone it down? The ability to automate that is going to be the next uh, journey for us, and that's what we are undertaking as we speak. Cool. So let's pivot because you brought this up and I think it's a really interesting learning point. So Plethi is in business. It's doing well. It's growing. It's got its platform going. It has its sensor and the pandemic hits. The pandemic is both 
an opportunity and an obstacle for Plathe. So, uh, but also, and we see this with many startups, a stress test. And, you know, many companies in general, but startups specifically who are cash poor, um, didn't survive. Can you take a moment and talk about what you did to survive the pandemic and how the pandemic affected your company and maybe even continues to affect things? So in January, I kind of felt this was coming. Um, and, the, and the reason I did was I, I ran sales at Cisco. I was part of the sales leadership at Cisco Systems. And I was used to seeing macroeconomic uh, you know, hits. And we would always pivot into a different market and make investments and, and, and shift accordingly our numbers and our goals. And, and that macroeconomist in me kicked back in. And if you, um, I, uh, I, I, I remember distinctly uh, two things. Uh, the first is I called uh, Global Health Impact Fund uh, leadership, including yourself, in February. And I said, let me tell you what's coming in March, and let me tell you what I'm going to do. Um, and, um, and, and lo and behold, it did in March. Um, what we did really was a couple of things. Number one, uh, we, uh, we absolutely uh, slowed down our burn rate. Let's start with that because look, uh, for a for a startup which which did not raise like you know tons of millions of dollars, uh, we needed to survive uh, through the process. Uh, until January, February, uh, there was a huge uptake in clinics and number of patients on the platform and so on. How the pan pandemic affected us was the following: because we were in musculoskeletal and we were clinic focused. Uh, most of the uh, procedures uh, that we were focused on at that time was hip and knee replacement. And these two procedures were cons are considered elective procedures and just wiped off uh, here in the United States. So the patient uh, volume now comes down to a trickle. So point one for us was conserve cash, don't do a lot of things, but with the infrastructure that we had built out, it gave us an opportunity. So the March, April, May was, you know, panic attacks, calling, seeking mm -hmm. to understand clinics and, and what they're up to and when they see the light at the end of the tunnel. But at the same time, we started focusing on, okay, while we have this, why don't we try out a shoulder, elbow, lower back? Why don't we start seeing non-surgical patients, the few that are coming into the clinic? And so we started now engaging, and we today, thank God for that, we started uh, focusing on surgical now, non-surgical. We started looking at pain clinics on management of pain and programs for it, uh, I think 12-week, 18-week programs. Um, that's really what it has been. Now, uh, what was uh, what was uh, the stress test for us is what I call the yo-yo, which is, oh, we are opening. No, there's a second wave. Oh, we are opening again. No, there's a third wave. And that yo-yo had a significant impact uh, on, on, on the entire team because you're running really fast and nothing happens. You're running really fast to get clinics back up and running and nothing happens. Right. Um, we're still seeing that. I mean, uh, yes, we, are, we have more clinics on board. Uh, we don't have, they are not experiencing the patient volume uh, that they uh, used to see on a yearly basis. Um, but uh, what I am uh, very positive about is the backlog is building up. 
just because COVID occurred doesn't mean the musculoskeletal problem disappeared. People have just right. Right. chosen to postpone it. So I'm looking for forward to the second half of this year to kind of go back into our growth trajectory. But it has been a trying time. What I'm very thrilled about is my leadership team. My leadership team, uh, one of the advantages, so we are a group of people who came out of both healthcare and technology, or in, as you are aware. And one of the things is for many of them, this was not their first rodeo. So they clearly understood with their experience what they needed to do. So we kind of all banded together. All of us worked out a home. We start the day with a, every more daily check-in. There's priorities on what we're going to do. So we put in a lot of process in place. Uh, while we were at it, we, we cleaned up our quality management system uh, to make it really tight uh, and, 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 and so on. And the, and the team kind of coalesced together and that's really why we survived. So it's not me, it's, it's the folks came in and said, we're not gonna do it because we can't afford it. We can't do this because we can't afford it. Let us jimmy this in order to do that. And, and just everyone kind of pitched in. And that's really why we, we are still here talking to you. It's skill and growth because when everything reopens and people jump on the platform, they're not gonna come one by one. It's gonna be like a flooding. Yeah, so um, uh, so two things. Uh, the first one is uh, it, it doesn't play out the way you think it does, Martin, because mm. uh, think surgical and non-surgical procedures, right? Non-surgical procedures, you're spot on. I'll tell you what we've done. On the surgical procedures, the throttle in the system is the availability of OR. Just because it opened up, suddenly you don't have uh, you know, exponential amount of surgery rooms available. I mean, that's not the case, right? Um, what we have done uh, is this. Uh, we, ha we got a chance to hire the right set of people to, on our side to be ready for that beginning of the upswing, not for the entire full boat. What we also did alongside is started partnering with service delivery companies who provide medical assistant or nurse practitioners and we also started partnering with two, two um, uh, nationwide firms on billing capabilities because we also find that many of these clinics, as the scale kind of ramps back up, the ability for them to bill for RPM services, remote patient monitoring services, in addition to the regular clinic ICD codes is going to be a challenge. So those capabilities we already have built into our, uh, into our souls. What we are now seeing in certain parts of the United States which have opened up a little bit more, uh, the clinics have asked us to help deliver MA remote monitoring services in addition to our platform and the third-party billing services, which we are. So our scaling is not just the, I'm limited to how many people Plati can hire, it's really having the right ecosystem partners in place to be able to deliver against it. So Raja, what, what's, uh, what's the next milestone that you're trying to get through? Actually, what we are focused on, Oren, um, 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 is on the clinical side. Uh, our pipeline today has some uh, extremely large groups, both ortho and pain clinics. We're gonna keep that trajectory going and keep filling that pipeline and continuing. At the same time, 
uh, we, during the downturn, also got a chance to pilot workers' comp patients. And throughout, through that experience and its success, uh, we now have verbal commitment with one of the largest employers, self-insured in the United States, and a very large uh, uh, payer uh, on, uh, on occupational health here in the United States. And we have uh, three more of those in the pipeline. And so our intent is, while we are in the clinical process, go into an enterprise sale through workers' comp, step one. And now that we have proven um, uh, in group health model on the other side, now that we have proven this in the clinical setting, we are also beginning to approach the payers to be part of their plans as well. So we see ourselves having a bifurcated from the capital, what group you got health from the and you know what would you say uh, the funds you know, biggest strength that they bring to the table model in place, and that's really what our goal is this year. Fantastic. For me, it's uh, two things. One is um, straight out guidance, and the second is introductions. So let's talk with guidance. Let's start with guidance. Now, clearly, uh, I did not come from healthcare, and if you, um, uh, you know, it's it's, it's uh, most of uh, these companies are uh, physician founded because they clearly were close enough to understand the problem that they needed to solve. Clearly, I'm not that. I'm not an example of that. And so, to me, it's it's constant guidance with regards to what you what they see in the market. And the ability to follow the fund to bring in folks, for example, uh, clearly from my background, you would know that I don't have anything to do with workers' comp. But yet I'm today you know, speaking authoritatively about workers' comp. And it's fundamentally because the fund, the two things occurred. One, we all read up and brought on the right advisors. But the fund, uh, Global Health Impact Fund, brought in certain key leaders in workers' comp. space so who built adjacent platform to begin to start working with us. So that's one, and that is just straight out extremely valuable. The second part is introductions. Look, um, you know, in a in a in a physician-led uh, environment, physician to physician introduction matters. It's one thing about me uh, call knocking on a physician's door versus me asking Oren, for example, for an introduction into uh, to go talk to a physician. It, it, it matters. Because I'm, an, I'm just straight out unknown entity coming out of Silicon Valley saying, hey, I'm here to solve musculoskeletal. And they're like, you got to be kidding me, right? <laughs> and so uh, to be kind of candid. And uh, so, so they've been fantastic in terms of reach outs uh, into physician groups and so on. And some of our thinking uh, in terms of what we wanted to do in the pain space, uh, pain management space, came out of uh, Global Health Impact Fund introductions. That's a great a great place to end it. I think we'll say, where can the physiatrists, orthopedic surgeons, family practice doctors, chiropractors, et cetera, physical therapists, reach you if they want to learn more about Plethi? Um, go look us up on the in our website plethi.com. Uh, I'm always available. Uh, my number is posted there, and my email is Raja. <laughs> name at pleti.com p-l-e-t-h-y.com and roger is the name of the tiger in aladdin so if you have a kid ask your kid <laughs> they'll know my name roger thank you so much this was great it's always a pleasure to speak with you and we wish you and plethi the best of luck 
Thank, Thank you, you very much, Oren, for the opportunity. And Martin, this is a fantastic setup. But yeah, um, I hope everyone enjoys this episode as much as I did. And I know as much as Owen and Raja did. Um, and then tune in next week for another amazing episode. Stay safe and see you all next week. Awesome.